Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are floating in what's called a sea cycle, which is powered by one's legs. There are two pontoons, two seats, and two foot pedals. You sit side by side and you pedal them forward or backwards and you maneuver this craft. And the place that we're maneuvering this craft today is none other than Atafenawa, in particular Pio Pio Tahe, or in English, the Milford Sound in Fiordland National Park, which is located on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. And my recording equipment is feeling a little bit vulnerable right now because the only way I can record this interview is if I take my waterproof case off of my recording device and just hang it on out there to record today in the waves in the middle of the inner fjord. And if I look to my left, I see a 163-meter waterfall. To put that in perspective for you, if you are on the English system, then that is three times the size of Niagara Falls. And then we have the Tasman Sea, 15 kilometers behind us. And today I'm speaking with a phenomenal adventurer who has decided to join me on this trip out to the fjord to record this interview on location in what has been recently his natural habitat, Milford Sound. He's a sea kayak guide here. Today I'm speaking with Callum Morrison, who is a professional whitewater kayaker and sea kayak guide here for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks in New Zealand. Callum is from Harrogate, which is in North Yorkshire, England. And he's been whitewater kayaking for the past five years. And what's partly brought him to the Milford Sound, this area of New Zealand, is because not only is guiding sea kayaking during the day a lovely way to pass one's time and to make a little cash, there's also some phenomenal whitewater in the area. Callum, first of all, thank you so much for grabbing a beer and jumping on the sea cycle and paddling, or I guess pedaling, out here to the Milford Sound to record this interview as the sun sets. And right now we're just drifting with the wind oh thanks mandela it's pretty awesome to be out here like you say a nice beer in hand nice sunsets with the mountains and everything it's it's pretty chur right now so you say chur and that's a pretty common word in new zealand but for those listening who don't know understand what it means or how it's spelled how does that work uh well it just means cheers i guess the new zealand adapter it just means it's everything's pretty good it's like a thankful word so someone like passes you something you say oh cheer bro an all-around positive vibe a little bit of a mission definitely some integrity in this adventure show recording today i wanted to give a big shout out to our safety kayaker who's right in front of us his name is wesley Harmon, and he took some photographs and some video for us today yeah he's standing by with the vhf radio and beer in hand yeah now wes is a pretty cool guy hey eh? we went whitewater kayaking together you know he can hold his own out there he's a pretty funny guy always giving the giggles and stuff wouldn't want anyone else out here saving my life Callum, my first question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? 
so I grew up in Harrogate, North Yorkshire, um, and it's a beautiful little town. It's a spa town from back in the Victorian era. So you've got to imagine like all the higher class society back in the late 1800s, the early 1900s came to Harrogate to enjoy like the spa, the natural mineral waters and like for the health and that sort of thing. Over the time, that's kind of side has passed away, but then it's managed to keep its prosperity and, and turn towards more business and tourism. I mean, it's the sort of place where if you walk down the road, you're having a bad day if you don't see like a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, or an Aston Martin, or a Jaguar just kind of chilling down, parked up, or driving down the road. So it's a real cool place. It's kind of like a fairy tale little kingdom. It's just got this beautiful green patch around the central town. And so the central town's all full of beautiful architecture from back in the 1800s. And then it's Queen Victoria herself gave an area of land to the town. It's big green swathes, big fields full of trees and gardens and plant flowers all around it so at the springtime all the crocuses come out and all the daffodils and stuff like that and then you've got the beautiful pink blossom of the trees as well and then during the autumn time they all disappear and turn to this beautiful golden it's absolutely stunning so that area of land is not allowed to be built on apart from certain things like the hospital for example but then the council have to give areas of land back so it's an absolutely beautiful area but not the most adventurous <laughs> so it's quite a uh, funny how i managed to get out and do all this and i guess what originally sort of catalyzed me was my parents we've got a motorboat back home and so we're always out on that every weekend so i was never able to take part in soccer or rugby and that sort of thing because i was never able to attend the matches at the weekend because we we're always away at the boat but that gave me like a healthy respect and love and passion for the water lots of different type of water sports and i guess through scouts Worldwide Scouting Organization joined when I was like five from all the way working through beavers, curb scouts, explorers, being a leader. And that's really what categorized myself as uh, an outdoorsman. They opened me to lots of different areas of the outdoors. You've got the climbing, you've got the hiking, mountain biking, and kayaking is just one of the ones that I picked up in particular just because of my background with water sports, you know. During the summer holidays, my parents uh, take me, I've got two uh, younger brothers on the boat, it's about 34 feet long, and we'd go all over the place all the way up and down the English East Coast, off across to Holland and France and Belgium, all through the England inner waterway, like the Norfolk Broads, up through into London, around York and area. So yeah, it's been a real, real cool little childhood. I had a real special and personal and something not a lot of other people get to experience, which is real cool. It's kind of set me on a real different path to all my other friends back home in the UK. None of them that I grew back up with through high school and managed to do the same sort of thing as I done. A lot of them are still back home and that's cool. They're doing their thing. You know, they've got the jobs, they've got a long-term girlfriend, but that's not for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> I love just going traveling and seeing what's going on. It's a bit funny, really, kind of looking back on life because I originally wanted to be a falconer. I remember when I was about 13, 14, I kind of knew what I wanted to do in my life. I was like, I want to do falconry. But being that young, no one would take me out and learn about the birds and let me handle the birds because they were saying I was too young. I need to be 18 to really do it. And it really just hit the side where, you know, everyone was telling me, no, I can't do this. So I wanted to find something that people weren't telling me I couldn't do. And the next thing I enjoyed just after falconry, like the birds of prey and stuff, was going into the outdoors. No one told me I couldn't go hiking, I couldn't go climbing, I couldn't go kayaking, I couldn't go mountain biking. They would encourage me to do that because it's cool, you know. I guess I'm just kind of looking at myself after not something else. 
but it's weird to think that if one person just said something a yes rather than a no my life would be completely different right now and that's kind of what brought me into the outdoors is is that kind of mindset of people encouraging you to go out and enjoy the outside and so I was able to work all my high school qualifications around that and I ended up going to university and doing outdoor recreation and adventure tourism as a joint honours and I managed to do some real incredible stuff that was at the University of Derby but I was in the Buxton campus so it was like a, a separate area off to the side we were probably about 30-40 miles away with a big mountain range in between us and the main campus but it took about three hours to drive it's you know, a short distance but it's just real windy and stuff that was pretty crazy and through that I was able to do lots of different things. I ended up being the president of the canoe and kayak club we have at the university. We ended up doing big climbing tours away to Greece. I actually did my, um, one of my tests, fully set university exam on an international flight. Mile high, five countries, three hours, pretty cool. And then I managed to do my university dissertation thesis paper about how whitewater kayaking and rafting out in Nepal was helping provide employment opportunities to local people out there. And so I, I've got a big, strong passion about Nepal. I go back year after year for at least a, a month, often longer. The longest time I spent singly was about six months and I worked a rafting season and also did some charity work out there. That was real cool. And then I've been able to kind of just follow summers around the world from in the US, working as a camp counselor down in Texas. I managed to travel to Uganda to paddle the White Nile, which is just a ridiculous torrent of water where you get thrown around in. I've gone all the way out to Nepal and Japan and all around the UK as well. So yeah, I'm loving life right now. Just chilling around, having a good time and just trying to make the most of it, kind of living in the moment rather than taking lots of pictures, just kind of keeping the memories. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things I really love about Milford Sound is that, you know, every day is a different day. There's always something different going on. And a lot of the time, it's not worth taking a, a photo. It's just about keeping it there in your mind because there's just so much going on up and down, left and right, forwards and backwards. If you'd stop to take a photo for five minutes, you often miss something else that's happening and lose the experience. Yeah, you've got the photo you can show people, but then there's umpteen other experiences that you'll miss. And, you know, that's what I think it's about. It's about enjoying yourself. It's not about proving to someone else that I've done this or seen this, but it's about having a good time yourself. Like one of the classic ones is when the dolphins come in here and they've got lots of clients eager to take the photos out and, and they take the pictures of the dolphins, they pass them and they're gone and that's it. They've got two minutes of them, if that. I really encourage guys not to take the cameras out and just to keep paddling as hard and fast as they can to keep up with the dolphins. And so we go with the dolphins and I've had some unreal experiences out here. I've had a baby dolphin one side of me, a mother dolphin the other side close enough for it to touch and we're just paddling along there, swimming, jumping out either side of me. I've had myself, there's a, a seal and also a dolphin and the seal's like jumping out like a dolphin is. I'm paddling along, we're all going together. It's, yeah, you get some real unreal experiences out here it's just real unique and just makes you going and it kind of goes on to what you were saying about the white water out here as well the white water out here is absolutely phenomenal hands down got some of the best white water in the world some of the sections in here you've got to imagine one of the rivers the hollyford for example it's beautiful blue clear water on this alpine glacial meltwater river and you're going on down some of the hardest rapids in the world, like easily class five whitewater. And then you're in this beautiful rainforest as well. And then the sun's out and you can see the snow-capped mountains towering above you as well. Absolutely stunning. 
and then you've got the other side in the Clevai Rally. That's a dark, dingy river. It only comes in when it's raining, but like we said earlier, Milford gets an unreal amount of rain. We're actually the 13th wettest place in the world in here and we get 310 milliliters of water, most I've experienced in a 24 hour period. And the rivers just come up and down so quickly with that sort of rainwater. And the cool thing about the Clavai is that it only runs when there is raining. And when it rains, there's thousands of waterfalls around here. So you're paddling down the river, seeing these massive mountains with just huge waterfalls just falling off them, a torrent of rain and water, just, just an unreal experience. Yeah, yeah, it's real, real amazing beautiful we're here on the trail less traveled and the trail leads today to Pio Pio Tahe in Atofenoa which is the Milford Sound in Fiordland National Park we're recording right now in New Zealand not only that we're floating drifting in what's called a sea cycle in the middle of the fjord and I'm speaking with Callum Morrison Callum we just had some crew members paddle by and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you do and what trip those guys came back from first of all what are you looking at right now well what am I looking at I'm looking at Pio Pio Tahi right now it's one of the most beautiful fjord well it is hands down been voted by National Geographic the most beautiful fjord in the world you've got to imagine there's we're looking at mountains towering to just over 2,000 meters the smallest mountain is at 1,000 meters and the tallest I'm looking at right now is at 2,015 meters so it's absolutely unreal You've got Maida Peak over to our left. So Maida Peak is one of the top 10 mountains in the world, which comes directly out of the ocean. It's also got the world's tallest sea cliff on it. You've got the elephant and the lion representing those sort of animals in their outlines. And, you know, 1,500 for the elephant, 1,300 for the lion. You've got these towering waterfalls, you know, three times the height of Niagara. They're all glacial meltwater. So we've got two uh, which are permanent. But when it rains, there are thousands of waterfalls all the way around here. So there's never, like, a bad way to see Milford. It, there's just so much going on in good weather, bad weather. Everything has it going. We're often playing hide and seek in here with the mountains, which is real crazy. But right now, we've got some glorious sunshine, which doesn't often happen, which is why we're able to get out here in the sea cycle on a beautiful, calm, flat water out in the fjord here. Yeah, real stunning. I've got the sunlight shining through the mountains, the shadows of the mountains on the southern side hitting the mountains on the northern side. It's unreal. You're talking about the widest part is about three kilometers wide, and the narrowest part of the sound is about 500 meters wide. So it's quite a narrow space, really. We're talking not general mountains, we're talking glaciated mountains. So these are sheer walls going up to 1,000 meters and then veering off towards the, the 2,000 meter mark at the top. But yeah, it's really stunning in here, which is why it's been voted the most beautiful fjord in the world. Now, Mandela was asking me about these sea kayakers coming by. So these guys are on the twilight tour. So that kind of leaves at about 4 p.m. Um, you get dropped off about two thirds of the way out of the sound. A place called the Palisades, which is glaciated formation that makes some giant steps coming on down the mountainside. Base of the Palisades is a area called Seal Rock. Now this is full of New Zealand fur seals, absolutely stunning creatures. And they're all juvenile males, which means they're not really scared of too much. So you can get right up close to them in the kayaks, like close enough to kind of touch almost. Not that I would recommend touching them. They've got pretty big, sharp, pointy teeth. Um, so yeah, not ideal to pet them. But they've been known to jump on top of people's kayaks as we're going along, which is pretty unreal and this sort of thing. It's pretty awesome. And then you paddle further into the fjord. It's never kind of paddling out. It's generally paddling into the fjord going with the breeze we've got a day breeze in here you see which is formed by the sun heating up the mountains inland and all that hot air from the mountains rises 
and from this rising air it creates a vacuum below at Wallace. Cold air from the Tasman Sea gets sucked in. Now we're in the back end of the debris, but because of the fjord and the shape of the fjord, it kind of funnels all the wind, so it can get up to easily like a standard 45 knot debris onshore, which is pretty hectic at times, but it allows you to do some pretty cool sailing and surfing within your kayaks. But now, right now, I've got the tail end, so it's real nice. So that's what these guys are just paddling back as a using that bit of wind just to push them back in. But yeah, they move away from Seal Rock over to Stirling Waterfall. Now, Stirling Waterfall, like I said, is about three times the height of Niagara. It's so one giant cascade and full of water, 151 meters tall. And you get to go right in there with the kayaks. If you're lucky, you get a high tide situation. And you've got a bit of a daring guy. There is a little cave behind the waterfall where you can sometimes tuck yourselves in. I quite like just getting my guys to watch me and tucking myself in right on the last turn. So that, oh God, where are we going? Where's my guide gone? And yeah, just come back out just afterwards it's pretty funny yeah and then you paddle all the way back and now as a guide we're not just looking after you on the water or just sharing our knowledge of Milford Sound Milford is just such a, a unique and I don't know, it's just a real interesting place. And we've got everything from glaciated valleys to rainforest in here. We've got places where some of the last known kakapo on mainland were found. They were thought to be extinct and we found some in here. Uh, well, we're looking up at the glaciers. You've got these towering waterfalls and it's just got so much history and vibe all the way from the Maori culture who used to come here to collect the punamu. Now we've got a type of punamu here. It's not nephrite, it's bowenite. And it's a greenstone. It's a very rare type of greenstone. Only found here at the mouth of Milford. Now it's a different type of greenstone to normal greenstone. It's soft and brittle, which means it's not very good for making tools out of, but it's absolutely gorgeous because it's got this translucentness through it where just you see the sunlight, you can see all the shimmering shards inside it when you put it up to the light. It's absolutely beautiful. So they've used it lots in jewelry, so it's very valuable. And since it's only found here, it's the only type of greenstone which is bowenite instead of nephrite. It's uh, truly awesome thing so all the way through from the Maoris through the first settlers in here the Europeans who first found it and Mr. John Grono he was a Welsh sealer got blown in here by a storm would you need to believe Captain Cook sails straight past the entranceway the entranceway is a bit of a right angle to the ocean and it kind of zigzags quite a lot so you don't actually see into Milford you kind of see it on a corner and then you have to come around that corner before you actually get into Milford itself and so Captain Cook he actually sailed past it twice once in 1770 and again in 1770 when he was tasked with mapping out the coastline. So he found all the other fjords but missed Milford. Now it wasn't until about 40 years later that Captain John Grono, he got washed in here in a storm. So he was pretty thankful that place. And then you got Donald Sutherland, who was the first guy to actually settle here. He came here in the 1880s and that's when he kind of really settled on down. We got all the way through from McKinnon who made the Milford track and yeah, all the way to kind of modern day era kind of thing where it's we've now got our little city as we like to call it. A tiny little airport, about 250 people living here in the high season and they're all staff working on the boats or in the sea kayaks or on the planes and helicopters that come in and out of the airport. And also we've got the boat terminal obviously which takes all the tourists out to enjoy this beautiful place. The peak of high season, I remember having over 6,000 people come and leave again the same day. Because there's not really any place to stay, like I say, it's sheer vertical cliff mountains so they're all driving in and out at the same day. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty special place this Milford. You are on the trail less traveled, and we are currently floating about 
300 meters in depth of mix of fresh water from the waterfalls and salt water from the Tasman Sea. We are in the Milford Sound. And Callum was talking about the hamlet of Milford. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how people used to get here. They used to have to hike for four days to get here. Now, in this day and age, you can drive through the Homer Tunnel. It took 20 years to build that tunnel, and it was only completed in 1954. But now, Callum, it's time to play a song. I'd love for you to share a song with us that reminds you of your early childhood. I guess the the first song I'd like to set off with is a song by Dispatch. We are a group from the U.S., down in the South U.S. Play a bit of folk music, I guess. It's such a good song. When they play it live, they just get so into it. They're such a fun band. I really love them. They're always having a good time out on stage and stuff. So this song is called The Flying Horses by Dispatch. Hey there, Mandela here. I just wanted to take a short break and give a shout out to Karuna Clothing. This is a clothing company started by my friend Karen, who lives in Missoula, Montana. She goes out to boutiques around the country and researches beautiful clothing that inspires women around the world. She then recreates this with her own touch in the form of handmade clothing items created and crafted from organic materials, which soften over time. I've been traveling in New Zealand for over six months, and really, I only had to bring one skirt with me, and that is the skirt that Karen gave me before I left. It's a beautiful, organic skirt made from a blend of hemp and cotton. From running to hiking, yoga, or kayaking, the skirt is truly one of the only items I needed to throw into my duffel bag. You can discover more by checking out karunaclothing.com. That's K-A-R. U-N-A clothing.com uh, Paddle on in, paddle on in. This is Milford Callum, do you copy? Here you go, here's the cycle. Oh, hey, Olive. Um, a bit of a fun question here. Can you remember the uh, Maori name for the type of punamu we have here in Milford? Yeah, Takawai. Ah, Takawai punamu. Cheers, Olive. The trail less traveled leads today to the Milford Sound, Pio Pio Tahe, in Fiordland National Park, Atafenawa, the land of shadows, in New Zealand, on New Zealand's South Island's western coast. And right now I'm floating with my guest this evening, Callum Morrison, who is a professional whitewater kayaker and sea kayaker, adventurer who's setting up a wonderful program in Nepal that we're going to talk to him about later. We're floating right now in what's called a sea cycle, which has two pontoons. We're sitting side by side and we're using our legs on pedals similar to a bicycle to propel this craft forwards and backwards. Right now we're floating above upwards of 300 meters of salt water mixed with a bit of fresh water on top. The fresh water floats on top of the salt water because the salt water is denser. Right now we're directly pointed at Lady Elizabeth Bowen Falls. And the Maori name for this waterfall is Te Po'o Te Which means the breast of the wood pigeon. The Maori used to enjoy the wood pigeon quite a lot during a certain time of year when the wood pigeon would feast on the fermented berries of the tree fuchsia. They would become drunk and this bird used to be difficult to catch but when intoxicated by the fermented berries of the tree fuchsia they would be easy to catch. The Maori could just shake a tree and a plump wood pigeon would fall down and what a delightful meal it would have been. That bird is now protected. 
Right now behind us we have a big pirate ship called the Wanderer, which is an overnight boat. It's probably heading out to the Tasman Sea right now. I really wish you guys could be here with us. It's pretty phenomenal. If I look to my left, I'm looking at a glacier that's left over from our last glacial period 15,000 years ago. Many of you might not realize this, but we're actually in an ice age right now. And once this glacier is fully melted, along with all the other glaciers on the planet, we'll be done with this ice age that we're in. But if it was 15,000 years ago, we would be encased in a glacier about one kilometer thick. And this sea cycle would do us no good. We would need crampons and perhaps ice picks. Well, my guest is now turning the sea cycle and now we're pointing at Stirling Falls, which is a waterfall about nine kilometers away that is three times the size of Niagara Falls. He's continuing this tour because he is in fact a tour guide and we have the wake of that pirate ship called the Wanderer coming at us so we need to hit it dead on. And over to my right is Mitre Peak, which is the tallest sea cliff in the world competing with one in Hawaii that we won't talk about because this is in fact the tallest according to those who work here. And Mitre Peak is 1,683 meters high. That might not seem very high, but when you're sitting at sea level like we are, it's pretty darn up there. Underneath Mitre Peak is Sinbad Gully, which is a refuge for birds. And the last roaming kakapo was found here in the 80s. It was removed to a, a bird refuge on an island off the coast. But enough of my blah blah. I'd like to speak to the guide, my fellow guide, Callum Morrison, my guest today. And he's going to tell us more about the Milford Sound, Pio Pio Tahe, in Fiordland National Park. First, I'd like to talk to you, Callum, about how people used to get here before there was a road. The Maori were the first people to start to head down on here, and they gave it the name Pio Pio Tahi. So they used to come down in what they called a waka, which basically translates as boat. And so that was a big paddle craft. You'd have a big warrior of Maori people come on down, traveling around, and they'd come here to grab the punamu. The Tawangi punamu is a special type of punamu we have here, and Punamu is Maori for greenstone. It's a beautiful gem. And they used to come down here as not so much a task to collect it for sale, but more of a show of strength and willingness and daring. Because coming down the west coast of New Zealand in an open boat, paddle boat, is a pretty daring feat in itself. You've got some of the most heinous storms at sea out here in the Tasman Sea. So it's pretty awesome that those guys managed to come on down. And then after the Maori, I guess it was the European explorers, and they kind of came on here by sailboat originally. It was originally discovered by the Europeans in about 1809. A guy called Captain John Grono, who found it completely by accident. Captain Cook had been down in 1770 and again in 1773 to kind of map out the coastline, but both times missed Milford. They found all the other fjords, but missed Milford Sound, so no one knew it was here. Thought it was a little bay. So Captain John Grono, one stormy day, decided to try and seek refuge inside the bay, but unfortunately kept getting blown further and further inland. Thought he was going to get washed up on the rocks, and then suddenly the Milford Sound opened up in front of him, which is a pretty special place. Suddenly found himself 16 kilometers inland in a gorgeous glaciated mountain valley filled with seawater so yeah he was thanking his stars and ever since then it's been used as a refuge by sealers to come and stay get out the big heinous winds and then as time kind of passed on turned to more tourism so in the late 1800s about 
about 1873, Donald Sutherland first turned up. Now, he was the first European and first ever guy, actually, to settle here in Milford. If you remember, the Maoris, they just passed on through collecting the Ponamu. He was the first guy to settle here. He actually had a house in here, brought his wife down here, maybe living for himself off the land here because you'd get the big cruise boats coming on in that bring all the passengers and he'd have a supply of food for them and be able to show them around areas because he was the original creator of the Milford Track. Now, the Milford Track today runs from Tiano through into Milford. You don't actually walk through Milford at all. You walk to Milford, which is quite unfortunate for a lot of people because they assume they're going to be getting into Milford Sound itself and seeing this wonderful place and walking through it, but you don't. You walk to Milford. You don't even see it from the past, which is pretty funny. When Donald Sutherland originally built it, it was only about half the length of what it is today because he never found a pass over the mountains through to Tiano. He built a, a Milford track up to Sutherland Falls, which is the tallest waterfall here in New Zealand and actually one of the top 10 waterfalls in the world. It's a beautiful three-layered waterfall, absolutely stunning, always running and is eye-watering to see. That was the issue. People could only sail in here. But then the New Zealand government decided, you know, it was such a wonderful place. It's such a height for tourism. We should try to build a track through. So they set basically a bounty on it to try to figure out who could get through, set people to the task. And it was finally Mr. McKinnon who managed to find the McKinnon Pass from Tiana Lake and up and across. So both areas of the Milford Track today are accessed by water, which is one of the hardest reasons people can't get on it. It's a very limited number of boat travels and also a number of huts because it is a four-day trek you hike the first day a little bit and then be up to McKinnon Pass on the second day and you've got two days walking down from the McKinnon Pass and through towards Soundfly Point and into Milford Sound itself which is truly stunning stunning walk you're walking through these gorgeous rainforests and it's only about 53 kilometers about 33 miles you know give or take a little bit but it's not there for the challenge, it's there for the sights and the views, you know? You're in this gorgeous rainforest, got these amazing waterfalls. It's just something to behold entirely. And uh, now hopefully you are lucky enough to get a nice summer's day, but unfortunately it is raining most of the time here in Milford. And most people have to book on about nine months in advance to even have a chance of jumping on the Milford track today. So most people ended up getting, walking it all in the rain and become all sodden out of it. Now, the Milford Trek, I don't know if anyone has heard of it, but it's actually one of the most famous walks in the world. And this happened early in the 1900s. There was one of the first ladies to walk the Milford Trek. She was a news journalist from the London Gazette. Now, she wrote an article after walking the Milford Trek called A Very Fine Walk, explaining the whole scenario, what was going on. She gave it to her editor and the editor decided that was a silly title and not really worth much. So he decided to change it to the greatest walk in the world. And ever since that article was published, Milford's been known as the greatest walk in the world. So it's a totally made up name by a guy trying to sell a newspaper. And it's created this phenomenon we know today as the Milford Trek. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. And so the Milford Trek is the number one way to get into Milford up until the Great Depression hit. So the Depression hit New Zealand in about the 1920s, 1930s sort of era. And New Zealand government was just trying to find a way of putting people to work you had accountants lawyers and like just bakers and blacksmiths just running out of work and so they needed to be put to work so they came on down to Tiano given a pickaxe and shovel and told to build a road now the road goes about 118 kilometers it's a pretty long road and now these guys were paid per mile I know I'm talking in kilometers and miles but that's just wonderful modern day stuff but they got paid per mile so there's white columns at each mile which mark along the 
number of miles they've gone so the workers knew how much they were getting paid but at some areas it was pretty difficult to build you gotta imagine these are glaciated valleys full of granite rock and so there was one particular mile stretch which took two years to build so they didn't get paid for two years which is pretty crazy now they had houses and villages and schools and all the way along the Milford Road because they were spending years building this thing they ended up spending about 20 years to build it starting in the early 1930s finishing in about 1954 so it took an awful long time for them to get it sorted but such a beautiful road is today it actually goes through one of the most avalanche prone areas in the world the milford road itself travels through 45 different avalanche zones so the Milford Road itself is actually the only road in the world with a, a team of permanent excavators on it. And that's because we get all these avalanches and rockfalls and tree avalanches, two slides throughout the year. And they want to keep it open because Milford brings millions of dollars to the New Zealand economy. And so they need to keep it open. So it's worth spending millions to keep the road open itself, which is pretty amazing, really. So that was finished in 1954. And it's an amazing tunnel halfway through it uh, where you climb up to about a thousand meters and this tunnel drops at about a 45 degree angle as you drive into Milford through the mountainside and goes for about 1.3 kilometers. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. We have a new tunnel run through there every year, the 1st of April. Everyone gets butt naked at 10 o'clock at night and runs through. I think last year we had about 150 people participate. We used to have other competitions here in Milford as well, like the home to home race. Because what used to happen, you used to get the post was sent through via a postman. Now, before the tunnel was built, because the tunnel took forever to build, the road was built first. The postman used to cycle up from Tiana up through the road, then climb up and over the mounds with his bike on his back. There's a pass called the Homer saddle, and he'd climb up there using a rope and then climb back down the other side using another rope ladder and then cycle the way down into Milford and it was his job to try and send the mail through and then once he got into Milford he'd get in a sailboat and out through round down the south to Invercargill where he'd pick up his next batch of mail and set off again up into Tiano and eventually into Milford now that was pretty crazy so we had this event every year where or we used to because it kind of got a bit too dangerous uh, <laughs> people were going a bit too fast but basically you used to cycle from the Homer Tunnel down to the pub as quick as you could uh, and then once you got to the pub in Milford you'd have to scull up a jug of beer and the first one to get down won and that was quite funny because you'd used to have the real athletic guys used to get down to the pub first but they were often the ones who couldn't actually scull the beers so yeah, it made a bit of a fighting chance for those guys who weren't as athletic. But people were going too fast, it was getting too dangerous, we couldn't close the road when it happens, and so someone was just going to get hurt, so we decided to cancel that at a particular event. You're on the trail less traveled, and we're speaking with Callum Morrison, who's holding the mic up to my mouth right now so I can speak as I'm steering the sea cycle So we're going into what's called the... Leads. And we're riding some waves. We're literally surfing some waves coming in. Callum, oh, hey, oh, shit getting exciting here okay Callum can you tell us about this section of the water and why it's maybe sometimes called the gauntlet for your clients so this is a pretty interesting piece of water right here because what you've got is just place called deep water basin further inland now that's just a big big pool of fresh water from the arthur river in the clothai and it is tidal as well so it's more brackish i guess now as it heads on out into milford sound it narrows into a section which is probably less than 100 meters wide 
and this is about 500 meters long and so it gets quite narrow get quite a lot of water pumping out of here especially after rain and everything comes charging out here especially with low tide and then when you get the wind over the tide you get these crazy waves these pressure waves building up which is quite easily surfable so that's kind of what we're playing in right now just whoo here we go yeah oh no no <laughs> Don't flip us. <laughs> you don't want to get side onto these waves. <laughs> They're pretty funny. But yeah, so it's a lot of fun just playing in the waves. So we've got a bit of experience, but for a lot of people who don't have so much experience, it can be quite daunting. Especially some of these waves can get over head height when you're in a kayak, which <laughs> is a bit scary as a guide because, oh God, where the client's gone? Oh, there they are. And then you can't see them. There they are again. You can't see them. But I have a great fun just playing in the waves. It's a lot of fun just kind of showing off a bit of skill and surfing all that 500 meters back into base. Awesome. So Callum, that whole time, was pedaling, drinking a beer, and spitting a yarn of the Milford Sound and its history. Wish you guys could be here. We're floating here in the leads, and it's time to take a break, perhaps crack open another beer, and Callum, can you please share a song for us? And I think it's ideal now for you to share a song with us that reminds you of this place, Pio Pio Tahe, in Atafenawa, the Shadowlands. Fjordland National Park on New Zealand's South Island. Alright guys, so the song I want to play you now is More Than a Feeling by uh, Boston. So it's a bit of an old song, a bit of a classic, but it makes you understand this place, you know? It's all about closing your eyes, drifting away to this fairy tale land. And that's what kind of is here. It's this fairy tale land which is real chilled out, real lovely to see. It's a bit of a song from a childhood as well, so it's Boston. Back to Mandela and the Trail Less Traveled. You're on the Trail Less Traveled. Today the trail leads to the Milford Sound in Fjordland National Park. Pio Pio Tahe in Atafenawa, which is the Mori name for the Shadowlands. And right now we're in what's called the Sea Cycle, which is a watercraft with two pontoons. I have sand flies on my face that are currently using their teeth to bite my nose. <sighs> The sandflies here are called Tainamu, and they are the protectors of this land. And they are pretty amazing. They definitely remind you to keep moving, and if not, they will bite you. It's hard to imagine for some of you guys something more intense than mosquitoes, but sandflies can get to your heart. But they teach us patience. That's something I've learned. I'm speaking today with Callum Morrison, and right now I'm with Callum on the sea cycle. We were recording the interview in the middle of the sound, and now we're making our way back to Deepwater Basin, which is where two rivers dump their sediment into and the end of the Milford Track. We're going to start to slowly head back home, and while we do that, I'm going to ask Callum about Nepal, which is a very special place to Callum's heart, and he's currently doing charity work and also setting up an adventure travel company. So, Callum, first tell us about the first time that Nepal stole your heart. Nepal kind of really stole my heart originally back in university, because I was traveling out to Nepal to do my university dissertation about how the whitewater rafting and like kayaking out in Nepal can help provide employment for the local people out there 
Now, while I was also out there, I was doing lots of charity work for the Rotary Club. So Rotary International is a big worldwide charity foundation. And our club back in Harrogate is joined with a club out in Nepal, which set up this project where we're installing computer suites to schools in rural areas. Now, I'm part of this club as well as my father and my grandfather. My father is an IT guru. He uh, is pretty good with his stuff. He runs his own IT business. Uh, And so he's quite a key part of this whole process. And it's been running since 2010 now. So it's been going quite a long time. I was able to join a few years ago. And we go out there uh, twice a year to once to kind of audit, make sure the computers are running, and a second team to go out to do a project to install computers in new schools and update them. And so we do everything from installing computer systems and teaching the teachers how to use them. That's kind of one of the big key things because a lot of people go out to Nepal and they don't really teach people how to use the stuff like oh see you later kind of thing yeah here's a load of computers and then they don't get used in this thing but we keep going back year after year to make sure they get used make sure the teachers know how to use them just help them through the processes install internet uh, we provide them with solar power and all the stuff they need to use and teach computers we've actually just signed a deal with microsoft who's given us a load of free computers and installing them with all the software and stuff they need as well so yeah big shout out to microsoft thanks for doing that but I guess Nepal really took my heart because of its culture out there. It's just a, such a cool place. You know, everyone's there to help each other and to really get along and just be one with life and just loving it. It's a very much kind of a multinational. It's got a big Hindu population is Nepal. That's kind of its national religion. But it's also got a massive Buddhism aspect to it. So Buddhism kind of teaches everyone just to get along with each other and enjoy life and live a good life. And that's kind of what a lot of Nepal Foundation is based on, which is real cool. That's kind of why it stole my heart. That and the scenery as well. Absolute stunning scenery. The tallest mountains in the world, coupled with some unreal white water. And that's kind of one of the big things about Nepal, which people don't understand, is the white water aspect. You know, after trekking, rafting is actually the second highest income of Nepal itself. So it's kind of a massive part of of the industry. Just people don't know about it. It's a bit of a secondary kind of sport. People go to Nepal for other reasons, and then they see that rafting's available, and then oh yeah, that sounds cool, and they go rafting. And that's how people. Get Get involved with it now it's actually got some of the best multi-day white water in the world out there absolutely unreal stuff and that's kind of what i want to go and share with people the culture and this white water so my company that i was setting up is called a river and soul adventures and we take people out in nepal pick you up from Kathmandu airport and give you a custom made trip which can be as long or short as you like but in general it's about two weeks long and I'm effectively acting as your glorified slave for those two weeks I show you where everything is sort everything out for you guys and take you on these unreal adventures which without my knowledge you guys wouldn't be able to experience because I have ended up working out there for the past few years traveling out there to be part of the rotary project and also develop my relationship with the local businesses out there So the idea is that we take you on these unreal rafting experiences, which are great for anyone who, from beginners, we can take you on easy rivers, all the way through to some of the biggest whitewater action you'll have ever seen in your life. Some pretty gnarly stuff, which is absolutely unreal to go on waves going you know three four meters in the air some truly unreal stuff and then when you stay overnight you're not just staying on the side of the river you're staying on these beautiful sandy white beaches on the edge of this tranquil ocean water basically it's not ocean obviously it's just a bit of water from the river but it's so beautiful and it's nice and warm you've got the towering mountains it's this tiny little valley either side of you and it's absolutely stunning and unreal to be part of 
then you've got your cooks who do some unreal food out there <laughs> it's got a real funny way of thinking about it you know I had this guy called Chabby he was one of my chefs and I was like oh Chabby what are we having for dinner tonight and he was like oh you know we're gonna have some lasagna now these guys cook on a stove kind of like a, a gas hob and have like pots and pans so I was real loving it I was like how the hell are you gonna make lasagna I'm looking forward to seeing what's gonna happen here I and mean, he brings it out and it's spaghetti bolognese <laughs> I'm like, Chavi, you know, this is not lasagna, this is spaghetti bolognese. It's like, no, no, look, it's lasagna. Look, you've got your meat, you got your pasta, you got your sauce, it's lasagna. I'm trying to say, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same with lots of their type of food. It's all about their kind of interpretation of our food. But it's absolutely beautiful. You have like popcorn and pancakes and chips all the way through to just some classic Napoli dalbat. So, yeah, absolutely stunning. And then once we're finished with the river days, we move towards some cities like Kathmandu or Pakhra, have a bit of chill out time, a bit of an R&R, &R, before we head up to Sirubari. Now Sirubari is a wonderful little village up in the hills about 60 kilometers west of Pakhra. And I love taking people there because that's where we kind of do our project for the Rotary, but it's also a homestay village. Now what this means is that you get to stay in their houses and be part of their family. You know, you go and eat the locally grown food. You have recipes that have been passed down mother door for generations untold kind of thing. There's evening events where the whole village turns out to sing and dance. There's little treks around the area to monasteries, up to the top of the mountain. And then we get a look out over the Annapurna mountain range, which is absolutely unreal, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, so that's why I love taking people to go and see that kind of cultural aspect and really become a part of the culture and understand it. You know, you've not got your fancy four star hotels you know you're staying in these pretty simple wooden beds but that's what you're going there for you actually understand it you're not just being like oh yeah there's a monastery there's a monk there's a house there's a village you're actually going understanding and being part of the culture you know and i say it's a homestay but it's mostly for the local people there's very like little international tourists that actually go there very few people that know about it so that's why i want to go take people and really become part and experience nepal like i was saying earlier it's all about the experience in my life rather than going and seeing it so you want to contact me, probably via my website. The company itself is called River and Soul Adventures. So uh, the website is www.riverandsouladventures.com. Contact form in there, you can fill out and send me an email. And that'd be no worries. Also, you can like the Facebook page. It's just called River and Soul Adventures on Facebook. Go check it out and see what it's about. I've got a Twitter and LinkedIn, Instagram, all the social networks you like. So go check it all out, eh? This has been the most phenomenal interview I've recorded this month. Sitting here with Callum Morrison in the sea cycle. Today for the interview, we have been pedaling around the fjord all evening, enjoying the sunset. Callum, you want to turn us so we're heading back towards home? Awesome. Callum, thank you so much for your time and your energy to record this interview with me today in the Milford Sound. Oh no, thanks you for Mandela. It's pretty awesome to be back out here again and in the sea cycle. It's pretty fun since I've kind of injured myself, can't do too much sea kayaking right now. So yeah, to get out on the water is still pretty special times. Callum, I'd like to end this show with three slices of advice on life that you'd like to share with the listener. 
Number one, be prepared. It's kind of a bit of a scouting motto, I know, but I'm classic for when I'm out with clients and stuff, I will take the utmost care because I've got people under my responsibility. But if I go out on a personal mission, I don't take care of myself too well. And so I just want to say to people, you know, if you are going out on a personal mission, make sure you've got everything to take. You know, you've got your bit of food, a bit of water in this, that, and the other. I've classically get caught out without food and water and get quite hungry. Managed to call myself back home all right, but it's always that one time. Just in case it doesn't happen so watch out for that number two like i said real get experience the place guys that's what life's about right just experiencing and not taking photos and showing off it's about being able to understand and get a feel for the area that's what i really love i feel like if you go out and don't truly experience it you're not really getting the most of what you could be getting and number three always find time for a beer it's kind of a part of human life drinking and this that and the other don't go crazy on it but i always enjoy taking a beer and some of my little adventures go to climb top of the mountain have a beer take a naked photo yeah that's what i like awesome callum what song would you like to end this show with so i'd like to end this show with a song by john butler a song called ocean it's a good one to finish off on because it's actually the best song i've ever had sex to it's uh, pretty funny, you know, it starts out real nice and smooth and just kind of gathers speed as, as it goes and goes and it, it's the live version so, you know, you're picking up speed and people start chanting and giving it and then if you manage to climax right at the end of the song, there's an awesome applause for you right at the end as well so it just kind of makes the whole experience so much better. John Butler Trio, Oceans. You've been listening to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to documenting humanity by collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. Subscribe to The Trail Less Traveled podcast on iTunes and check out traillesstraveled.net to listen to previous shows, see pictures, and contact me. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Callum Morrison. Callum is from Harrogate in North Yorkshire. He studied adventure tourism in university and wrote a thesis about how kayaking and whitewater in Nepal brings jobs for locals. Callum is a sea kayak guide in the Milford Sound, as well as an expert whitewater kayaker and owner and operator of River and Soul Adventures, custom-made adventure trips in Nepal. For more information, you can check out riverandsouladventures.com. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and talk to them in their natural habitat. This evening's episode was recorded in a sea cycle floating in the middle of the Milford Sound, the most northern fjord on New Zealand's South Island's west coast, a place called Kiopiotahe Atafenawa, the Land of Shadows, part of Fjordland National Park. My adventure tip this week is pretty simple. All I ask is that every now and then you pick up garbage, whether you're on the river, in the forest, or on the trail. If we all picked up a little micro trash every day, it would sure go a long way. 
Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, get outside and shred the gnar. Because, as you know, the gnar simply doesn't shred itself. <laughs>